Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecallendershow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, hour number three. Thanks for hanging out. I appreciate it. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. And, of course, the email is Pete at the Pete show.com. Uh, and, of course, uh, the big news out of South Carolina. All right, Mr. Murdoch, I sentence you to the State Department of Corrections on each of the murder indictments in the murder of your wife, Maggie Murdoch. I sentence you for the term of the rest of your natural life for the murder of Paul Murdoch, whom you probably love so much. I sentence you to prison for murdering him for the rest of your natural life. Those sentences will run consecutive. All right. Joining me as he has throughout this uh, saga, throughout the trial, Matt Harris, the co-host of a podcast, The Murdoch Family Murders, Impact of Influence. You can get it on your favorite podcasting platform. Uh, Matt, uh, so I, I've lost track of your travels now. Are you, were you back down in Colleton County? Were you back here in Charlotte? Where, where have you been? I was in the uh, courthouse last night for the verdict, uh, did some court TV and came home late last night. Okay. So, all right. So let's go back to last night. And I went through all of the audio in the first hour of the show today. Um, but, uh, so the, I guess the first thing was, was there a general sense of surprise at how quickly the jury came back? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I don't. I don't think surprise that it was guilty, or you know, but that the fact that it came back so quickly was was amazing. I was uh, went to a little restaurant, and a couple of the attorneys for Alec Murdoch's team were in there as well. And uh, suddenly, I was going to jump up with happy food, beers. And, what not, and we're like, uh-oh, I guess we better go, too. Mm-hmm. Jumped that, up and ran down the uh, street as well. Yeah, that's always a, a, that's always uh, wise to try to be near the attorneys because they're going to find out immediately, and then you just kind of follow them. Um, so uh, how many restaurants do they actually have in that area? I'm kind of well, curious. I've, I don't, I've never been to Walterboro. No, there's, there's, there's not many. There's uh, probably, two, like, I mean, as far as in walking distance, there's probably... Like there's a pizza place and there's a bar restaurant, a little Italian place as well. Okay. I saw the defense team. They must have had a uh, like an empty storefront or something like that. I saw the, uh, our boot lead in there with a bunch of people and they, they had some takeout. So, uh, yeah. All right. So you make it back into the courtroom. Uh, they announced the uh, the verdict. Did you see any? Did you see any emotion or anything from the from the jury members? I noticed when they. When Murdoch walked out, he did not look at the jurors when he walked out. And then, of course, Court TV, uh, the the camera caught it. It, pan- it followed Murdoch as he walked yeah. out, and so all the jurors' faces got broadcast in violation of the order that the yeah. judge. Uh, that was the first time I think, though, during the course of the trial that that happened. Uh, it yeah. should not have happened, but it did. 
Uh, but he did not appear to look at the jurors as he walked past them. Yeah, as far as uh, where I was sitting, I was sitting right behind uh, Buster and Alex's sister and her husband. Uh, and people were coming in and kind of like, you know, leaning over, whispering to Buster and rubbing his back. I mean, everybody, you know, they, they weren't stupid. They knew when it comes back that quick, it's not good for Alex. Uh, he wasn't showing out, out, outwardly emotional. His girlfriend was crying. Uh, Lynn, the sister, was she, was... she wasn't showing outward emotion, but she she had more of a anger mm. kind of look to her. When she was talking to people, you could... It was kind of a angry demeanor. So in their press conference this afternoon, the defense team said that they kind of figured that this is where it was going to go because uh, the judge allowed into evidence uh, all of the financial crimes and to go through all of those financial crimes. And this is going to be uh, what what they indicated was going to be sort of one of the reasons they appeal because you're not allowed to use past crimes in order to show that the guy's a bad guy. You can use it if it speaks to motive, and that's what the judge said these financial crimes were about, because that's what the state was arguing. Right, and right from the get-go, the attorneys, maybe, I don't probably talked to a dozen down there, all pretty much said the same thing, that that was a dangerous path to go down for the prosecution, and the fact is far out much depth that they went into it. Uh, they didn't just stick straight to okay the boat crash okay there was a there was a uh, hearing coming up maybe that one there uh, that could indicate his back against the wall um, maybe even the Chris Wilson hundred ninety thousand dollar or that's what he had just yeah. Chris Wilson but seven hundred ninety thousand or whatever it was um, that was found out that day but the other ones uh, did they really indicate his back was against the wall and they, i think they were all the attorneys i talked to were concerned about the depth to which they went into these things and that might be uh that might be grounds for appeal um right. so i guess that's good news for you the podcast isn't ending anytime soon <laughs> uh, that's right uh all right so then uh the the judge's comments afterwards i saw some uh some reaction people i guess have never uh, it i guess i'm like I'm not a good judge of this to see people's reactions because I have covered capital murder trials, murder trials in the past, and so I've been in courtrooms and I've seen judges talk to defendants and talk about cases like this after the jury has done its job. The judge then offers some thoughts on the case, or or as he did today, almost seemed like he's trying to coax a, a confession out of right. Alec Murdoch. And uh, I noticed some people were disturbed by that or they 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 thought it was they thought it was uh improper or or what i i, I don't know what did you think well i mean you have a better uh like i you know it seemed odd to me but i have not seen a lot of well, I, I, I guess what you, you know what i think i've seen some where the, it's it's real uh a clear-cut kind of monster and i'm not saying that's not the case here yeah um but you know what I mean. It was yeah. You'll hear a judge. I'll be like, you know, may God have mercy on your soul. You're a monster. You're terrible. Yeah. Like I've I've seen a judge say stuff like that to a defendant once convicted. Right. That's and, and granted, you know, like Murdoch, many people think is a monster. If you kill your wife and 
son, uh, basically point blank range, more or less. That's pretty much monster stuff. I, I, I guess maybe it was the way he was, as you said, being priestly about it or something. Clean, cleanse your soul. Tell us the answer. But I don't know if that's unusual because I've not seen uh, Judge Newman right. in other capital murder cases. So he sentences uh, this morning. Murdoch gets uh, back-to-back life sentences. Um, and uh, the, I guess the, the gun charges didn't even really matter at that point. It was just sure. uh, an aggravating factor in the case. Like uh, five years each. Yeah. And so... Uh, I, I thought this was interesting. I was watching a lawyer last night who said that serving time for murdering your family is a different kind of sentence than serving time, even if it's the same amount, than uh, than serving time for the financial crimes. Because at least with the financial crimes, your family can still give you support, right? Your family is still going to show up at the, at right. the jail. They'll visit you. Um, they put money into your uh, commissary account and stuff. And if you're convicted of killing your family, you may not get that kind of family support down the road. You may not. Uh, and, and certainly, I mean, I'm not you know, worried as much about Alec Murdoch in there, but I, I see your point. But mm-hmm. it also, I think it hurts the Murdochs that are out who may be innocent of everything, no involvement in the financial crimes or whatever. Do you really think Buster Murdoch's going to go anywhere in South Carolina ever and say, his name or give his credit card or whatever. And then yeah. look at him like, you're, you're the guy with the, the dad who murdered your mom and brother. So, all right, what else? I know I've been asking you leading questions. I object to myself. <laughs> um, so uh, what, yeah, what, what else do you think is important or interesting that folks should know? Uh, I, well, I mean, the, the one thing I thought was interesting, if you think about it, was there anywhere else in the country ever where a guy is, convicted of murder in a courtroom where his father, grandfather, great-grandfather put people into jail for life for murder. That's bizarre. Yeah. It's insane. Um, I think that I talked to a few people afterward that were in the courtroom, and it was kind of interesting Few of them said that you know they really you know hated Alec and he was guilty and all this, but they said they didn't feel like they thought they would being in the courtroom. Like they thought it would be like yeah, you know, hang him. Um, and they said they felt more like emotional. I don't know emotional yeah. the right word. But they felt more concerned. Like it was just a whole different thing when you're dealing with a real family and real people, and you're seeing the guy, and you're well, not necessarily even him, but you know you see. The other people in, uh, affected, a few of them were like, it just wasn't what I thought it would be. Yeah. No, it's one of the things when the trials end, um, it's it just over, just overall sad. It's, it, it's, there's never any kind of like, you know, spike in the football in the courtroom. It's just, there's just this sadness about the whole thing because two people are dead and now this guy's going away and it didn't have to be this way. It's just sad. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Matt, I appreciate it as always. Uh, I guess uh, no more 2 p.m. hits for us, but if stuff breaks, you let me know. And we'll have you back on. Um, <laughs> well, and, if you hear of any murders, you let me know. Okay, yeah, you're looking for the next uh, the next podcast <laughs> topic. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Matt Harris, he is the co-host of the podcast Murdoch Family Murders, Impact of Influence. Uh, you can go back and listen to it all. They cover all the cases. I doubt he's done with it now.
Uh, Matt, thanks again. Appreciate it. All right, so let me get to this story. I haven't had a chance to, um, but there have been some developments with the North Carolina State Auditor, Beth Bumpercar Wood. A couple things. So first, the North Carolina Department of Administration has now confirmed that the auditor, Beth Wood, personally paid the damages associated with her December hit and run, which totaled nearly $8,000. So she came out of her own pocket to pay for the repairs on the state-owned and issued vehicle that she was driving. Not the second one that she was driving when she wouldn't when she wasn't supposed to be driving after wrecking the other one, the one she wrecked, plus the car that she wrecked into, the parked car on the side of the of the street, right out front of the law firm that had the Christmas party that she had just attended and then drove home from and then smashed into that car, which she said at the time that she was uh, attempting to make a right-hand turn onto the onto the connecting street, that cross street. The problem with that story um, was that the car that she li- literally ran up and over that car, and then the, her car got stuck on top of the other car. That was that car was parked on the uh, up against the sidewalk, you know, on street parking, parallel parking, and it was a good twenty feet from the from the intersection because. You're not allowed to park that close to an intersection, right? You're never allowed to pull. Like, they don't put parallel parking spots all the way up to the intersection because it's dangerous. If you have cars parked up like that, then you, it, uh, you can't see around the turn. It's a tighter turning radius, whatever. So they don't. you never have the, the spots go all the way up to the, the intersection. So if she was trying to make the right-hand turn, she turned like 30 feet too soon. And so that obviously prompts the question of wh- whether she was drinking. Then we find out she was at the uh, Christmas party that was at the law firm that was right in front of where she wrecked. The law firm is the law firm of one Rufus Edmiston, former North Carolina attorney general, big time Democrat, and um, Beth Wood, also a Democrat. And so she was at that party. And she also then went back into that building. She was whisked away from the car wreck through the front door of the law firm. And the only reason we know that is because just by luck, some Lyft driver or Uber driver was, or, or maybe it was a DoorDash or something, I don't know, some guy's driving past on that cross street and whips out the phone and starts videotaping as you can see Bethwood is a pretty unique looking individual i'm not i'm not attacking her looks i'm just saying she has a unique appearance she is tall she has uh white hair or or blonde it might be white i think it's yeah i forget it may be blonde and white and gray whatever but it's like spiky and she was wearing a a long white coat and so you can see her being being whisked into the lobby which has all these glass windows and such And you can hear somebody saying, get her out of here. And as the car rolls through the intersection, videotaping, you can see her car up on top of the other vehicle. That video shows that she was there, much like the kennel video in the Murdoch trial. It shows she was there. And had we not seen that video, um, we would never know 
the circumstances around her fleeing that scene. Now we do. Speaking to reporters outside of a committee meeting at the legislative building, this would have been Tuesday, Beth Wood apologized for the incident. Now remember, she said she was sorry she fled the scene. She said she panicked, she freaked out, and so she fled the scene. But because we saw the video, we know that some man was telling her, okay, I don't mean to assume gender, maybe it was a, it doesn't matter. Anyway, some a male voice is heard saying, get her out of here. So she was being helped, she was being aided in her flight from the car accident. And of course, the only reason you would flee a car accident like that is to avoid getting a field sobriety test that would prove that you were drinking at the time of the accident. She said she freaked out, though. Um, she said, well, here, I'll play, the, uh, I'll play the audio here. What I would tell you is this. I am so sorry that the accident happened. Obviously, I'm so sorry. And if I could go back and change my decision that night, I would. But I can't. So all I can do now is move forward and fix what was broken. And then the reporter asks her, were you drinking? And she turns and walks away, fleeing like she does at a car accident scene. She flees the question. Now, to be fair, she started to turn and walk away before the reporter got to ask the question. But the reporter did ask the question, and she just walked away. Now, also, if you watch this video, you just heard the audio, but if you watch the video, she's rolling her eyes as she says that. Like, obviously, I'm sorry. She's like rolling her eyes when she says, obviously, I wish it hadn't happened. I, you know, I'm sorry that the accident happened. Like, like this, like she's removing herself from the thing. Like, I'm sorry this thing happened <laughs> that I caused. <laughs> that's, that's her, quote, apology. This, of course, is the fundamental question to ask. And kudos to the reporter, uh, I think from CBS 17, Haley Fixler, I think was her name, uh, who asked that question. The other question is, what lawyers advised her to flee the scene of an accident? And is that legal? Does that jeopardize their, their law license? These are the questions maybe some more media folks will start asking. All right, are you prepared for a disaster? Do you need some advice? Are you looking for a military surplus that's real? Well, for more than three decades, the answer has been Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. It is an old-school, traditional store. It's got a mix of modern and vintage items. See my friend Tim? He'll hook you up. He gets new stuff in all the time, American-made, because it's real military surplus. Camo, shirts, hats, customized dog tags, gear... Old Grouches on Main Street, downtown Clyde, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. The shop is open Monday through Saturday and all the time at oldgrouch.com. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Follow me on Twitter at Pete Callender, And uh, the email address is Pete at the Pete Callender Show.com. Phone number 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. Hello, John. Welcome to the program. What's going on, John? Good Friday to you, Pete. How yes, you sir. Doing? I'm doing all right. Good Friday to you as well, sir. Excellent. Hey, um, the thing, Beth Woods, uh, uh, well, her apology and her reasoning, it makes sense, uh, you know, that she panicked and whatnot. If she was, what, 18, <laughs> and she was surrounded by lawyers, the lawyers would have said, it's okay, it's a relatively minor accident. Don't worry about it. The police will come. You, yeah, and it's all done. Right. 
the fact they, I mean, the fact that the lawyers were there and they were like, hey, get her out of there. That's because they didn't want her near the police. Right. There's no other explanation for that. Right. And if the Murdoch trial has taught us anything, right, that's enough to convict her. <laughs> like, no, I mean, seriously, there's no there is no other reasonable conclusion to draw except that. And now you add in this other piece of evidence. This is essentially like uh, another. Uh, this is like the Snapchat video uh, of her uh, or of Alec at the tree. Like this is her. Uh, now in the hallway, and she's you know running away from the question. Rather, because if she hadn't been drinking, and and there was no doubt that she was sober, she would have denied it right then and there. But but she didn't. She doesn't want to answer the question, so she just walks away. Of course, she does. Uh, the the problem is nobody's going to charge you or going to look any further into it. Right. The, the The problem for her now is is a political one. Right. The GOP. Yeah has called on her to resign. She says, absolutely not. And she gives these, um, these statements. Where is it? She talks about how, um, you know, all the good work that we do and we're doing. It's, I always love this. We, when like, she's the, you know, there wasn't any, we. Are we back? No. Are we back now? Are we back now? Oh, yeah, okay, now we're back. Sorry about that, John. Apparently the emergency alert system uh, just went off. I assume it has probably something to do with either a test, but I thought they were supposed to let us know about that stuff. Huh? So is it a test or is it from the windy weather? What do you think? Anybody's guess. Stay safe out there, everybody. Uh, John, yeah, sorry about that. That was uh, not my intention. I put you back on hold, but that was like, uh, yeah, they take over the air. We can't do anything about it. Um, I mean, I'm not saying we should. I'm just, that's why we go silent. And I don't even know. Does that go through on the, uh, on the digital side, on the live streaming? It does? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Because otherwise it just sounds like I stopped talking for, you know, 20 seconds or whatever. In other news, what have we got here? Juicy Small A. He is appealing his conviction in the hate crime hoax. Uh, yeah, he was sentenced to 150 days in jail back in December 2021. Five counts of disorderly conduct for faking that racist anti-gay hate crime. And uh, and so now he is appealing. <laughs> really? God, really? Why? Okay. We all know. We all know, Jesse. Has he gotten any work since that? I don't know. Oh, my goodness. All right. Um, At least two prominent Republican judges will not be forced to retire in the next few years if a bill in the North Carolina House becomes law. Did you know that in North Carolina, if you're a judge, you have to retire at age 72? It's like, hey, happy birthday. There's the door, old geezer. 72. And Justice, uh, the the Chief Justice, Paul Newby, turned 72 in 2027. Court of Appeals Judge John Tyson turned 72 in 2025. State law says if there is a vacancy on the bench, then the governor gets to appoint a replacement judge. So what does that mean? It means if there's a Democrat governor that succeeds my good friend Ray Cooper, then 
that Democrat governor would get to appoint the replacement, which is kind of how we ended up with all of the Democrats controlling the state Supreme Court in the first place recently. They now do not, thanks to the voters who have installed five Republicans onto the seven-member body. Republicans also hold an 11-4 to majority on the Court of Appeals. It's this really weird thing where voters tend to like uh, tend to like Republican judges at the state level. Right? The state-level judicial races, for the most part, have gone all Republican for many election cycles now. Not all, but, well, the last two, I believe. I mean, Anita Earls, uh, right? Or uh, Yeah, she got on in that three-way uh, race, beating Barbara Jackson, who had the guy who was pretending to be a Republican who drew votes away from her. That, that Remember that race? But generally speaking... Um, the Republicans do better at the uh, at the court races. But if you've got a 72-year-old chief justice, by 2027, he would have to retire. And if, like, let's say Josh Stein wins uh, the governor's race, then he would replace the Republican chief with a Democrat. And he would probably promote one of the Democrats on the uh, on the court to the Supreme Court position, which is actually what angered Paul Newby, which is why he ran against Sherry Beasley and beat her because he was the senior ranking judge on the Supreme Court. And when, uh, what was his name? Mark Martin, when he resigned to go take the chancellor job at that college or whatever, um, Cooper named Beasley his replacement, promoted her, leapfrogged over uh, Paul Newby. And Newby said that's that wasn't right. That wasn't with tradition. The tradition is that it goes to the senior ranking member on the body. And so he ran against her and beat her. And then she ran for Senate and lost again. Um, while uh, these high ranking judicial seats are the ones that capture the most attention, they're not the only positions the bill would affect. Every judge and magistrate in the state would have his or her retirement age raised from 72 to 76 if the bill passes. The state court system itself did not ask for this change, but the system is in favor of it, according to the report at uh, WRAL by Will Doran. That according to a a court system representative who added that this is not the first time such a proposal has come up at the legislature. So that's something else to keep an eye on. Um, also, speaking of elections, keeping an eye on things, uh, the uh, the new North Carolina Democratic Party chair, Anderson Clayton, the 25-year-old uh, activist from Person County, she was a precinct chair. So she has a lot of experience here. Um, yeah, she beat Bobby Richardson, a former state representative who had the backing of Governor Cooper and Josh Stein, the attorney general, as well as the entire Democratic congressional delegation. Um, And so this activist beat Bobby Richardson. I would also point out that the the 25-year-old is white and Bobby Richardson is black. So the Democrats tossed out uh, this this long-serving legend in in, in the Democratic Party, Bobby Richardson, uh, a minority. But whatever. Um, No, I'm not accusing Democrats of being racist. I'm not saying that. Although... Um, I did see a piece of legislation moving in Florida that might have them a little nervous. 
the Ultimate Cancel Act, which would require the Division of Elections to immediately cancel the filings of any political party whose platform had previously advocated for or been in support of slavery or involuntary servitude. And that was in the Democrat Party platform. And so, all right. <laughs> I mean, it's a total troll move, but still, I kind of like it. <laughs> I kind of like it. Um, Democrats performed relatively well in congressional races, but they lost the Senate race. Uh, you know, Beasley did. They also lost control of the state Supreme Court, and they are uh, they were one House race away from being on the short end of a supermajority in both chambers. And uh, so the 25-year-old activist uh, Clayton, Anderson Clayton, who has two last names, I guess, um, she said, we lost 44 seats uncontested this last cycle, and that just means we've got to be prepared to recruit a candidate everywhere. That's true, because you cannot win a race if you don't run a candidate. I have found that to be a very big obstacle. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Only a few more moments left here on the program. Uh, so the uh, the piece by ABC 11, uh, talking with Anderson Clayton, the 25-year-old new head of the North Carolina Democratic Party, says she wants candidates to focus on topics like housing, education, broadband access, and public safety, addressing uh, voter concerns. Efforts to increase turnout also mean reaching out to rural areas, which Clayton, a Roxborough native, believes have been neglected. She says, rural organizing to me is never about winning back these places. It was always about rebuilding trust in a party that people feel like had left them behind a long time ago. Um, so not that she's asking me, but just a piece of advice here. I can I, I can actually address this for you. Um, the reason people feel like the Democratic Party left them behind a long time ago is because it did. So, okay. Um, the Appalachian State University grad also pointed to growing their presence on college campuses because we all know leftists are not well represented on college campuses. Um, this is a voting block that often supports Democratic candidates but also has lower turnout rates. Quote, I want to make sure that we've got somebody on all 16 university system college campuses right now, and that includes our HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities. Turnout there on those campuses was the lowest it's been since 2010. And in this last cycle, she says, I think that we've got to make sure we have college students organizing college students. I think that is the one thing the state party has got to do a better job of is making sure that our volunteers, the people that are in our communities, understand what the Democratic message is, how to talk about what Democrats are doing right now effectively and how to understand uh, and understand that it's about building up a community. And so what do we uh, what do you need to do in your own backyard right now? So what, what, what is this? What, what is she saying? Just as in all cases, whenever Democrats don't do well, what do they say is the reason? Communication. It's not that your it's not that your ideas are terrible. No, no, that's not the problem. The problem was people didn't know what our message was. People, the message wasn't getting through. They don't know what our agenda is. If only we can talk to them better, and if they can listen better to what we're about, then then we'll win. Meanwhile, I mentioned this uh, story uh, a moment ago here. The Ultimate Cancel Act. 
The bill would allow... <laughs> This is in Florida, Senate Bill 1248. It would, it would require Florida officials to notify all registered voters who belong to any canceled parties that their parties no longer exist. And the criteria is if you've ever supported slavery as a party. <laughs> Two six-packs of shiner, 99-cent butane lighter, lucky strikes and a fifth of Patron. Ice down that igloo cooler. Take a guess at all to do her. I can feel a good one coming on. Throw in Ray Wiley Hubbard. Sing along to Redneck Mother. Any blues I had before are gone. Another working week is over. No chance of staying sober. I can feel a good one coming on. My favorite quote from this article in NBC News is that a Democrat says it's going to disenfranchise 5 million voters. They could still vote. What are you talking about? Three blondes in a ragtop Mustang Followed us down to the lake And didn't have to think about that too long Skinny dipping in the bright moonlight Situation couldn't be more right I can feel a good one coming on Yeah, we gonna roll all night We gonna get the feeling right We gonna keep this party rocking till the break of dawn Yeah, I can feel a good one Feel like a good one I can feel a good one coming on the senator also says that this is nothing more than a publicity stunt. So we have finally found a performative political message that Democrats oppose. Now they're against performative politics. Isn't that interesting? It just took canceling their whole party in Florida to do it. All right. We'll see you Monday. Don't break anything while I'm gone. Yeah, we are.